Good morning, church family. Welcome this morning to worship. We're so glad that we're joining together with our Missouri City campus as well. So let's welcome in our Missouri City campus. Put your hands together. We get to be one church in multiple locations. And what a joy to take the good news of Jesus all around our region and all around our world. It's amazing people who tune in online and watch throughout the week. And what a blessing we get to be to those around us. My name is Libin Abraham, and I get the joy of being the campus pastor at our Missouri City site. And if you're new or visiting with us, we say welcome and welcome home. We hope that we can walk with you through the journey of life that you're on and help you take that next step to wherever God is leading you to. I want to share a story that I heard about a seven-year-old boy who asked his dad a very interesting question. He asked his dad, Dad, how much do you make an hour? How much do you make an hour? Dad says, son, that's none of your business, so you don't need to know how much I make. <laughs> but the son kept persisting and insisting that he know. So dad said, okay, I'll tell you how much I make an hour if you promise to not tell anybody about it. I make $150 an hour. He was an executive at a nice company, and he made $150 an hour. The son then said, okay, dad, can I just borrow $20? <laughs> Does that sound like your kids? <laughs> can I just borrow $20? And the dad said, son, all you do is want to borrow money. Go to bed. Go off to bed. And the son just ran and went to bed. About an hour goes by, and the dad feels badly about what happened. And he said, okay, I should probably go check on my son. So he goes to his room and knocks on the door and said, son, what do you need? Tell me what you need, and I'll see if it's worthwhile, the $20, and I'll give it to you if you need it. The son ran across his room and got his piggy bank and started shaking out every dime in his piggy bank. And it came out to $130. It's a lot of money for a seven-year-old boy. $130. And the dad says, son, you've got a lot of money here. Surely this is enough for whatever you need. And the son said, dad, if you could just give me $20, I'd like to buy an hour of your time. I know, my heart sank as well. I realized, number one, you know, this kid is smart, and two, never tell your kids how much you make. They can pull that kind of stuff on you. <laughs> I'd like to buy an hour of your time. This dad in the story, he had great intentions. Probably was a good person. But at the cost of the best things in his life, he overcommitted to the good things, to the demands of life, work, and life. You know, 20 years ago, you could come home from work, but now with accessibility to everything, Wi-Fi, internet, personal phones, cell phones, you don't come home from work, work comes home from you. And actually, you're feeding information all the time, news, social media, to where the boundary lines around our home and family, around the things that matter, are oftentimes blurred. And in that moment, we leave open to great danger, the things we hold dearly to. So last week, we started a three-part series on boundaries, how it is that we set boundaries in our life. And we define boundaries like this. Boundaries are limits that define and protect at least three things. They define and protect your identity, purpose, and responsibility. Who you are, the essence of your being, your purpose, that thing that God has called you to. He has called you for this purpose in life. The responsibilities of life that he has called you to steward, identity, purpose, and responsibility. And we said this last week that healthy lives require healthy limits. Healthy lives require healthy limits. God, from the very beginning of time, instilled certain parameters and boundaries for the world to function, for people to function, for them to be healthy, because he knew that we could not be healthy, we could not live out the life of meaning, joy, and purpose that he has called us to without healthy limits. The consequences are severe compliance, avoidance, being controlled, controlling other people. It matters to have good boundaries in your life. King Solomon, who was very wise, the son of David, 
struggled with boundary issues. One bad decision to listen to terrible counsel led to the splitting up, the tearing apart of the nation of Israel into two kingdoms. One decision, one crossing a boundary that was not good for the country. Set aside, tore apart the nation. So in Proverbs, when Solomon is reflecting on his life and he is writing words of wisdom for generations to follow, he notes this in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28. Solomon says, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Like a city whose walls are broken down, tear apart, is a person who lacks self-control. In ancient times, there was a literal wall that protected a city before air force and aircrafts and modern day technology. The only protective means for your city was a wall. It was a defense mechanism. It kept the enemies out. It kept bad people from coming in and good things from leaving out your city. Without a wall, your city was wide open to all kinds of danger. The people, the inhabitants of the city were in great danger. A city wasn't complete until a city had a wall because the city wasn't safe until a city had a wall. And once you were within the boundary wall of a city, you were obliged to follow the customs and rituals, the traditions of that city. Solomon describes your life, my life, as a city. Jesus said, you are a city on a hill. And a city must have good boundaries, good walls that protect what's inside of the city. And Solomon is saying, any moment you lack self-control and you give up the control of your life, you give in to the compulsion of others, the demands that other people make on your life, and you compromise your convictions, and you compromise your values, your faith, you are like a city without a wall. Anyone can come in, and anyone can take from you the things you hold dearly. And the people and the things you cherish are now in great peril. They are in great jeopardy because you don't have a boundary to protect you. This actually happened in 589 BC. The power of the world was Babylon. And in 589 BC, they laid siege on the city of God, Jerusalem. And for the next two years, they would tear down the wall of Jerusalem one bit by bit. They would take this wall down and essentially in two years, they would destroy the entire city of Jerusalem by destroying its wall. Enemies and neighbors of Jerusalem invaded the land, took whatever they wanted, they looted, they established their own tents there and established their life in Jerusalem because they didn't have a wall. The inhabitants of Jerusalem were taken captive to Babylon. But eventually, Persia overthrows Babylon and people in Jerusalem are sent back home. And a lot of people do go home, but some don't. But even those that were home in Jerusalem, it didn't feel like home. It didn't feel like their land because there was no longer a boundary wall that said this is home. There was no longer a means of protection for them. So every day they lived in fear and disgrace because they lacked a certain boundary. And for 152 years, there was no wall around Jerusalem. So God moves in the heart of a certain man named Nehemiah who lives a thousand miles away in a land called Persia. Nehemiah has a pretty sweet life. He is cupbearer to the king. Everything is going well. But he gets word that the boundary wall of his city, Jerusalem, has been torn down. And he goes on a mission to build a boundary for the protection and safety of Jerusalem. 
Today, we want to look at the story of Nehemiah because inside of it are powerful truths that I believe helps us, helps you and me put the right boundaries in our life. God's word has something to say about how we build the fences, the walls in our life for our protection. The first thing is this that we learn from the story of Nehemiah. Setting boundaries begins as an internal resolve before it's an external process. Putting boundaries in place begins on the inside as an internal resolve. It begins in your heart before you ever say it to somebody. It begins within you, not on the outside of you. What do I mean by that? First of all, establishing boundaries are motivated by a desire, a want to, for change. Establishing the right boundaries in your life are motivated, are compelled by a desire for change. Nehemiah chapter 1 Verse 3 says, they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. In this point in the story, when Nehemiah hears the news of the brokenness of the boundary of Jerusalem, he could have done one of several things. He could have said, you know, I live a thousand miles away. I wish I could do something, but I can't. Good luck. He could have given them some money, given the brothers some money, and said, put this towards the Jerusalem building fund and build a wall. He could have said, look, it's been barren for 152 years. Other people had the chance to help, but they didn't. I'm going to brush this off as well and not take responsibility. But that is not what he chose to do. Nehemiah has this internal resolve to say, God, use me to put a boundary in Jerusalem. He prayed, he mourned, he fasted because he knew that Jerusalem would be in great jeopardy for the rest of his existence without a boundary wall. He had this compulsion to bring change to Jerusalem. So he went to the king at the cost of his own life. He knew he could be killed for this, but he said, this matters so much, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. You could be here today and it feels like your life is like a city without walls. People come in and they leave when they want to. They take what they want without giving you what you need. A city without walls. And it could be that you grew up in a home where boundaries were a foreign language. Your parents tore each other apart all the time. People were taken advantage of all the time. You saw abuse, exploitation. You saw all kinds of abuse and manipulation. And you had no idea what a boundary looks like. But let me tell you this, the change can start with you. It can start today with an internal resolve that says, I will build a fence for me that wasn't there for me. But you've got to want to do it. You can say, my kids don't have to see the marriage I saw. They don't have to become another statistic. I can actually put a boundary, a wall that protects the things that are worth protecting. But you've got to want it. Imagine going home today and telling your neighbor, will you build a fence for me? probably not going to do it. Unless they go to Sugar Creek, then they might because they're just wonderful people. The best people in the world. But you got to put your own boundary. I can't do it for you. You got to want it and establish a boundary that protects what is worth protecting. Second of all, Nehemiah went and there's something he did before he went public. He assessed and identified before taking action. He assessed and identified, assessed and identified before taking action. Notice what happens in chapter 2. 
I set out during the night. This is when he gets to Jerusalem, traveled a thousand miles to get there. He set out at night. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward Jackal Well and the Dung Gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Before Nehemiah goes public with what he wants to do, before he changed his status on Facebook, and went social media with everything he wanted to do, he took a deep look, an honest look at where the boundary walls had fallen. He went out to the watches of the night and assessed, took an inventory of where did they break the boundary, how did they breach the city wall, what do I need to do, where do I start? If you want to put up a boundary, it takes you looking deep inside of your soul and looking at who actually has taken the control from your life. Who have you given power over to you? Where has a boundary wall fallen? Is it in your marriage, career, parenting? Is it in your finances? Is it in a certain relationship that you're in? Where has a boundary line fallen and has been blurred? You have to know what to change before you can change it. You have to know who to have the conversation with. So in order to have a boundary, first you gotta have a want to, a want to for change. You gotta wanna change. And second of all, you got to have a knowing what to change. I want to change and I want to know what to change. A resolve that is deep in your soul that says, I want things to be different. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes to make a difference in my life. The second thing that you learn from Nehemiah is that setting boundaries will most likely result in resistance. Resistance. Because you are challenging the status quo. Putting up a boundary wall around your life, putting up a healthy fence, a healthy limit in your relationship will result in resistance because what you're doing is you're taking power out of somebody else's hand and putting it back into your hands. And anytime people lose power over you, there is resistance. There's two kinds of resistance. There is resistance from the outside, resistance from outside, from other people. But there's also resistance from within our own heart. And Nehemiah encountered great resistance to a good goal that he set out to do. First of all, there is the resistance of anger or the reactions of anger. Being furious at you for putting a boundary up. Nehemiah chapter four, verse one says, when Sanballat, Sanballat is one of the leaders who brought a group of people and invaded Jerusalem and took over their land, set up their tent and lived life as they wanted to inside of another city. And they had free reign to do whatever they want. But notice what happens. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. One translation says he was furious. When Nehemiah came and started putting some parameters, when he began to lay the foundations for a wall, he was angry because he knew that he was going to lose control in Jerusalem. When you tell that 35-year-old son, you can't live in the basement anymore and play video games all day, you need a job, He's going to get pretty angry at you. Trust me, he will. When you tell someone, look, I've been giving to you so long, but now you really need to take some responsibility. I can't let this happen anymore. They'll get upset at you, but don't let their anger control you. That's their issue, not your issue. That's their character flaw, not yours. First of all, you will have reactions of anger when you put up a boundary. Second of all, you will have feelings of guilt from other people. Feelings of guilt. Notice in chapter 4, verse 12. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, 
They will attack us. Wherever you turn, we'll get attacked. These are the Jews. These are the very people that Nehemiah is trying to help. They have lived with the consequences of a boundaryless city for far too long, and they're saying, Nehemiah, we'd rather have a boundaryless city than have a healthy city. Because now we're in danger, and the danger is your fault because you came and you initiated this rebuilding of a wall. Our lives are in danger, and it's your fault. Guilt is one of the most powerful forces that people will use to control you. Guilt deceives you into thinking that someone else's happiness is solely tied to your actions. You are fully responsible for their happiness and joy. See if you recognize some of these statements from people. How can you say no to me after everything I've done for you? If you truly loved me, you would do this for me just one more time. Sure, you can go. I'll just stay all alone by myself as always. <laughs> How about this one? I thought you were supposed to be a really good Christian. I thought you cared about me. When you put up limits and healthy boundaries, people will say things, but you got to see it for what it is. They're meant to control you, to provoke guilt inside of you. Reactions of anger, feelings of guilt, and the last one is this placing of blame. Placing of blame. Proverbs says it like this in chapter 19, verse 3. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness, and then they are angry at the Lord. <laughs> Haven't you seen that? People make their choices, their decisions, their foolishness. Foolishness has led to the ruin of their life, but then what do they do? They hold a fist at God. How could you do this? Or they hold a fist at the church or their family members or at you and say, you allowed this to happen when it was their responsibility and their choices. I know I haven't turned in an application, but it's your, your fault that I don't have a job. My decisions are somehow your responsibility and your fault. So when you set out to put boundaries, expect reactions of anger, feelings of guilt, and placing of blame, resistance from other people. But then there's also hesitation and resistance from within inside of you, your own heart. You got to watch when you put boundaries up. First of all, you may have unmet needs. Resistance from within, unmet needs. When God made you, he wired you with specific human needs that you were to be fulfilled by. Needs for affirmation and love, acceptance, forgiveness, receiving you for who you are, validation. Those are wonderful human needs that were meant to be fulfilled by your family or your parents or the community of believers around you. But a lot of times, we can go through life having these deep human needs unmet, unsatisfied, or unfulfilled. So what do we do? We'll cross boundaries to find the first person or the first thing that can fulfill a need. We'll work extra hours. We'll turn to a destructive relationship. We'll turn to a coping mechanism. Something that meets a need for belongingness and acceptance. Unmet needs. A young man will crave affirmation and will desire to simply hear the words, good job, or I love you. So he'll work and bend over backwards and do whatever it takes to simply hear the words, thank you. Someone can give their life to somebody who is charming and smooth simply because they meet an emotional need that they have. When we have unmet needs inside of us, we are prone to cross one boundary, one conviction, one compromise, 
after another. And if you're here today and you have certain needs, some voids in your heart, let me just point you to some great promises from the scripture. Philippians says it like this in chapter 4, verse 19. My God will supply every single one of your needs according to the riches of his glory. Only God can supply the deepest need of your heart. Don't look to a man or a woman or a job or a thing. Let God fill the very void of your heart. He has wired you to draw you to himself. And if you are here today and God hasn't met you, just open your heart wide to him. Let the creator of the universe fulfill every deep desire in your life. Psalm says it like this, Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord and he will fulfill the desires of your heart. He will give you the desires of your heart. Come before him, open your heart to him and let him meet the deep insatiable desires and needs of your life. The second internal resistance we have is a fear of loss. Fear of loss, a fear that says, unless I let this person cross my boundary, cross my limits, I'll lose a relationship, I'll lose a friendship, I'll lose something that matters to me. So at the fear of loss, at the fear of abandonment, we can actually be held hostage to a situation because we fear losing something that was precious. But let me read to you Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17. A friend is always loyal. Underline that word, always. No matter what, they are loyal. And a brother is born to help in time of need. A friend is always loyal and a brother is born to help in time of need. What is he saying? He's saying the people worth keeping around are going to be loyal to you no matter what. The friends that you should have in your life, the relationships that are worthy of being in your life, they can handle the hard conversation. They can respect and honor your boundaries. And when you are going through a hard time, they are more loyal to your well-being than they are to what they're getting from you. Don't be held hostage to the fear of loss, to unmet needs. Let God deal with you today. Fear from others or resistance from others. Blame, guilt, anger, fear or loss that we are afraid of from within us. Resistance from within. Nehemiah goes out with this internal resolve, a desire to want change. He faced in resistance from all around him, but he withheld from giving in. And the third thing he did that we can learn from is this, surround yourself with people who will help you protect your boundaries. Arm yourself with people. Surround yourself with people who will help you protect your boundaries. In chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. When Nehemiah is ready to go public, he goes to the priests and the officials and the people in charge and he says this to them, you see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, join me, I need you. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. Join me in this endeavor. I need you to hold my hand through setting up a boundary for our city. They replied in verse 18, let us start rebuilding. Okay, I'll say yes to helping you rebuild good, healthy boundaries. So they began this good work. Without the security of relationships, you will be unsuccessful at establishing the right boundaries. Without solid, unconditional relationships in your life. People who will surround you, who will call you out when you are crossing boundaries. People need to have some veto power in your life. There are two kinds of people in your life. There are takers and there are givers. 
Takers aren't bad people, they just need a lot. Your emotional strength, your capacity to give, your energy, they need a lot. And it's okay to have some takers in your life. But in your life, you need more givers than you have takers. You need to have more givers than you have takers. You need to have somebody pouring into you, encouraging you, speaking life into you, surrounding you. We call them connect groups here at Sugar Creek. And if you're not a part of one, join one today. Be a part of a community, a friendship, a family that walks with you. They don't need anything from you. They just want to support you, help put healthy boundaries, and help you take the next step to the great things God calls you to. You can't build a fence to protect you by yourself. The temptations are too great to give in. Nehemiah surrounded himself with people to help him. The last thing he did was so critical, and it has to be the foundation of setting boundaries. And it's this. Decide your priorities ahead of time. Decide your priorities ahead of time. I love the scene in the story of Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 2 to 4. Sanballat and Geshem, the very people who were trying to destroy the work that Nehemiah was doing, they sent me a message. Come, let's meet together in the villages of Ono Valley. Let's get some lunch. Let's have coffee. Can I come over to your house? I need to talk to you. Come, let's meet together and let's talk. They were planning to harm me. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing important work and cannot come down. That's a great verse. Some of you need to copy and paste that and hit send on your phone. All right, if you're a little bit shy, just send them the reference. Nehemiah 6.3. Read this. This is what I have to say to you. Nehemiah tells these people, I am doing important work and cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Four times. They kept calling me. They kept texting me. They kept sending flowers my way. Four times. They sent me the same proposal, and every time, I gave them the same reply. I didn't compromise. I could have. I didn't compromise. I gave them the same important message. I'm doing important work. If I was Nehemiah, I think I would have caved to this pressure because these are the people that are causing tension. I would have thought to myself, hey, this could actually help the situation, but I'm glad he was a lot smarter than me. That's why he's in the Bible and I am not, okay? Nehemiah saw right through this temptation to give into the urgency. And rather, he gave into what was important. He put priorities in place and he said, This matters more to me. Bottom line is that boundaries are simply priorities. Priorities outline your boundaries. You got to know what your priorities are ahead of time before you know what your boundaries are. Priorities create, they protect, they define boundaries. Priorities answer the questions, what matters more to me? Or what matters the most to me? What would I not want to leave and go to something else? Because this matters the most to me. Here's a few statements I want to give you about priorities, and I want to close with an illustration. Priorities lead you to choose what is important over what is urgent. They lead you to choose what is most important, not what is urgent. A lot of times, urgency can mask itself as importance. A lot of demands, a lot of emails, a lot of texts and calls, but not everyone should get the same time from you or the same response. Know what is urgent and what is important. Give yourself to what matters more. 
Second of all, priorities give you permission to say no for the sake of a more worthy yes. Priorities give you permission to say no at the sake of a more worthy yes. When you say no to overworking, you're saying yes to spending more time at home. When you say no to overspending, you're saying yes to generosity, to being generous to other people. When you say no to overeating, you're saying yes to a better health. Missouri City, I don't know how it is there, but it's kind of quiet in here when I sit down. When you say no to temptation, you're saying yes to trust. When you say no to pornography, you're saying yes to purity. Every no you say is connected to a more worthy yes. Saying no to one thing gives you a greater capacity, gives you the permission to say yes to something far better, something that deserves your time and energy. Every no is connected to a better yes. The second one, I think I might have overlooked this one. Priorities keep in mind long-term goals rather than immediate gains. Priorities keep in mind long-term goals rather than immediate gains. They look at the future and say, what do I want to be remembered for? What's going to matter in 40 years? Yes, this opportunity looks great right now, and I could actually have an upper leg in the organization or an upper hand at that promotion, but will it really matter in the long run? Is it what I want to be remembered for? You have to choose today, right now, what you want to celebrate later. You have to decide now what you want to celebrate tomorrow. A lot of us have an idea of what we want tomorrow and our future to look like, but your future is dependent on what you choose now. Establish your priorities. Reorient your life to what you want to celebrate 30, 40, 5 years from today. Priorities lead to long-term goals, not immediate gains. And the last one is this. Godly priorities will decide what you do based on who you are or who you want to be. Godly priorities will lead you to decide what you do, how you spend your time and money based on who you are or who you want to be. Who you are is far more important than who you want, or who you are is far more important than what you do. Grab a hold of this. An unhealthy boundary says that what I, what I do determines who I am. An unhealthy boundary says what I do determines who I am. So you'll do more, try harder, trying to achieve and become something. But doing more and you'll cross boundaries thinking that your identity follows your action. That what you do determines who you are. But that's not how God lays it out. God actually says to us, who you are determines what you do. It's not what you do determines who you are, but who you are determines what you do. Who you are as a Christ follower, who you are called to be as a husband or a wife, as a young adult, who you are called to be in this world that makes a difference for the kingdom of God, who you are as a faithful servant of Jesus Christ, who you are determines what you do. And today, if you're chasing things, pursuing things, trying to get identity, let me give you this. Identity is not achieved, it's received by a heavenly father who loves you and calls you by name. And he gives you who you are in him, something you could have never earned or worked for. He gives you by the gift of grace a new identity so that everything you do in life follows who you are in him. Let me uh, illustrate this if I can for you. I heard this example a while ago, 
about establishing priorities. They said, the priorities in your life can fall into one of three categories. One of three categories. Things of rubber, things of metal, or things of glass. Things of rubber, things of metal, and things of glass. You take the things of rubber in your life. If you drop it, it'll bounce back. You drop it a few times, it's okay. You can let go of these things. It's safe to let these things slip out of your hand because they bounce back. There is no real harm or damage that's done. Things of rubber bounce back. No real harm is done. So if you miss a football game, I know you're going to be a little sad, but it's okay. It's not going to ruin your marriage. Even if you miss a whole season of NFL, you might be a little depressed. It'll be okay. It won't hurt your life that much. These things of rubber you hold with one hand and you hold loosely, knowing that it's okay if they fall. It won't ruin your life. One hand and loosely. Then there are the things of metal. Things of metal. These things, if I drop them, they make noise. It's noticeable. You'll feel it. People will ask you about it. But you'll recover from them eventually. They don't break your life. They're things of metal. Yes, hold on to them. And these things you want to hold on to with two hands, but still hold on to them loosely. It's okay to miss that work trip for the sake of your family. It's okay to cut back on certain things because of a new season of life you're entering into. Things of metal, you drop them, and they don't break you. Hold on to them two hands and loosely. But then there are these things. Things of glass. You were worried if I was going to drop them. I won't. Things of glass. These things you drop, and it breaks. These things you drop, and it affects you in the long run. They fall apart. They shatter. And it's so hard to put back together. You can try gluing it. It might look okay for a while, but it's not the same. You put some water in this bowl, and I've just glued it back together. It's going to leak. It doesn't have the same strength anymore. It's not the same anymore because I've broken it. These are the irreplaceable things of life. Irreplaceable things of life. It won't be the same if you drop these. Don't let these things slip out of your hand. So these things you hold with two hands and you hold tightly. You hold carefully and delicately. You hold them with everything you have. You don't want to drop these things in your life. They're irreplaceable. For me, my faith, my intimacy with Jesus, me being on my knees every day before God, my faith in Christ, my relationship with Jesus is irreplaceable. I don't want to let that fall through the crack. My marriage to Stacy is irreplaceable. I want to give her everything I have. I want to build our intimacy and our faithfulness and our trust. I want to be found faithful to her as long as I live. My investment in my two-year-old girl, it matters. It's irreplaceable. I want to, as a dad, meet every need that she has, that I'm called to meet. That way she knows who she is. She is confident in her identity. That's irreplaceable. My calling to ministry is irreplaceable. I can't let that drop in my last breath. I want to be found faithful, full of integrity, full of trusting God, and living a life that honors him so that I hear the words done, well done, son, well done. 
You've given God glory through what you've done. Those are irreplaceable things. I can't tell you what is in this category for you. Only you can decide that. But I bet your marriage is something you don't want to drop. Your faith, your relationship, don't let it slip. Your investment of time in children, your investment of energy and your purpose, your calling, don't let them drop. They're the things of glass, things that are irreplaceable. See, a lot of times we hold too tightly to the things of rubber. We hold on them with everything we've got and we refuse to let them go. All the while, we hold loosely to the things of glass. Today, your priority says, I'm going to get a fresh grip on the things that are worth protecting. I'm going to loosen the things that are okay to slip in my life. Priorities outline your boundaries. You can't set a boundary without the right priority. So Nehemiah fights off the resistance from outsiders and insiders. Has this resolve that says, God, I want, to things, I want things to change in Jerusalem. I'm not okay with no boundaries in my city gathers a troop around him, they go to work, has his priorities set, and it's focused. And guess what? The wall is finished in 52 days. Record time. You know what's amazing? This wall stood for generation. It was a clear boundary in Jerusalem. And four and a half centuries later, Jesus Christ himself enters in and out of this wall. He comes into this city that could have only existed because it had a boundary wall around it. Because God was not just building a wall, he was building a people that he would be a part of. What am I saying? As hard as it was, as long as it took, it was worth it for Nehemiah to go to work on this wall. It was so worth it. And I want to tell you, as much of a great resistance you feel, both internally and externally, it's worth it. It's worth knowing what matters the most to you and establishing your priorities and creating a boundary that will last for generations to come. So today, will you commit to saying, if there are boundaries in my life that have fallen, the things that I'm doing I shouldn't be doing, seeing that I shouldn't be seeing, Lord, help me create a boundary that's good. You bow your heads with me. Only you can do this, and maybe you're here today and there is a deep unmet desire in your heart at Missouri City or here at the Sugar Land campus, can I point you to Jesus, the only one that can meet that for you? Can I point you to the King of kings and the Lord of lords who is offering himself to you and saying, let me give you life, let me give you the freedom, the joy that you are longing for. And today on both campuses, join us at the Next Step Center. Give your heart to Christ. Join this church. Be a part of a community that's walking with you. So, Father, this morning we open our hearts to you. Meet every need we have. Give us the courage to want the change and the knowledge of what to change. We thank you that if you are for us, no one can be against us. God, I praise you for the purposes, the callings, the identity that you have given to us. We don't carry that lightly. We carry it with great joy and responsibility. But help us, God, to put the right boundaries to protect the things that matter the most. Let the things of glass not slip through our hands. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.